and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by Alliance Insurance with me, Steph McGovern. This is the series where we look at what's happening in the world and how it might impact the insurance industry. There are plenty of episodes that you can have a listen to. We cover everything from underinsurance, sustainability and business resilience, amongst other things. And you can get all of the episodes online. Today, we're talking about solving the skills shortage. It's a problem affecting all sectors and the Federation of Small Businesses reported that more than three quarters of small businesses have struggled to recruit people in the last year. So we're going to be discussing the key things brokers need to know about the skills shortage and how they can help their clients to address this issue. To do this, we have got the best in the business. Emma Saunders is a senior HR manager at Allianz. Claire Kelleher is professor of work and organisation at Cranfield School of Management. And Anne Franker is chief executive of the Chartered Management Institute. Thank you so much for joining me. It's lovely to have you here today to talk about this. So, skill shortage. We all know it's out there. Can you just tell me a bit about how you're seeing it impact industry? Um, Anne, do you want to start us off on on your thoughts on the skills shortage at the moment and the impact it's having? What we know is many, many businesses are facing acute skill shortages and have been for well over a year. Now, they are concentrated in certain sectors. We know about those in the care sector. It's still quite persistent and pervasive. It is getting in the way of growth. It is getting in the way of productivity. We know from our surveys that people are finding it very difficult to hire the right people for the roles they have to fill. And of course, this is accelerated by COVID and people leaving the workforce. But also there are other factors at play here, including the impact of Brexit on access to labour in the UK, which compounds the issue. And Emma, this is being felt across all sectors. So there'll be lots of clients of brokers who are feeling this at the moment. The ever-changing world of work as well in terms of what we need now with regard to skills. Three years ago, we're looking for different types of skills as well. So that landscape is changing continually also. I think, you know, when we think about our organisation, it's digital and data, really key skill set that we're looking for now. So, and that's, you know, great competition in terms of trying to go out in the marketplace and really, you know, land those type of skills to help that future sort of growth and sustainability of your organisation. We could cover loads of areas here, couldn't we, in terms of what you can actually do to solve this. We all know there's no like one magic bullet in all of this. So Claire, can I just ask you a bit about, first of all, what do you think we need to do to start attracting more talent? What do businesses need to be thinking about? What's really important here is for employers to think about what ways they can attract those people back into the workforce. And some of that is about offering flexible working arrangements, about offering different ways to engage with work, whether that be part-time work or working remotely for a greater proportion of the time or flexibility over when people are actually working. Yeah, and and that's the thing. The workforce is not one homogenous lump, is it? You know, everyone's got different needs and different ways they want to work. Just coming to that point, though, you made about older workers, because we know the government now are calling for uh, early retirees, aren't they, to come back to the workplace. Do you think, Anne, that this is a solution? 
Well, of course, I think it's a very important part of the solution. And I think it's very interesting that the government, the chancellor, is calling for people to come back out of retirement and into the workforce. But as Claire said, you actually have to have the same efforts made on behalf of employers. And we at CMI did some research that showed that only four in 10 managers were willing to strongly consider hiring older workers, those aged 50 to 65. So clearly there's a real education job to be done here for employers to do the things that Claire was saying, offer flexible work, offer um, you know, well-being and good healthcare programs, um, offer inclusive cultures. It's not just about money. And it certainly just isn't about saying, you know, oi, off the golf course and back into the office because that just doesn't work <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Can I ask Emma, what's the insurance industry like in this area then in terms of looking at bringing back people out of retirement? We are always looking at where we can fish in sort of different talent pools. Um, so we look at it from the point of view of people who have been out of the workplace for a number of years. So that could be people who potentially have retired early, could be people who've taken breaks for caring responsibilities to have children. So it's about us educating our managers. So in the insurance industry, we think it starts with the education of the hiring manager and actually reframing that hiring somebody who potentially is in that older generation you know return on investment from a hire you want to have somebody in a post for two to three years you're getting your return on investment back from that if we're going out to people now who are in their sort of mid to late 50s we're all going to be working until we're 70 I know I am hiring somebody in mid 50s they've got plenty more to give to our organization so you know even if they are with us for just two or three years that's fabulous return on investment so it's about just re re-educating those hiring managers as to the value that these individuals can provide i think what's also great actually in bringing people back who've got more life experience where we think about this new generation entering the workplace who you know have have done their exams have been at university through the COVID years, they've lost that opportunity in terms of building some of these other more intangible skills, I guess, in terms of how the world of work works, you know, how you operate in an office, how you build relationships in the workplace. And people who've got that life experience are great really to act as kind of mentors for that next generation coming into the world of work. Yeah, it's a really good point that about maybe like a buddy or mentorship scheme and what people can learn at both ends of the career spectrum to help each other. I guess there's a question as well I want to ask, um, like Claire, have you seen good examples where this is happening? Like so many things, our experiences in the pandemic challenged a number of our perceptions about what was feasible. And I think what that's done together with some greater openness really created a capability amongst managers to actually use in these circumstances to respond to labour shortages and to think about some of those groups that they might be trying to attract back into the workforce. This was particularly significant in those industries where part-time working hadn't been particularly prevalent or managing particular jobs where it hadn't been prevalent, even though it might have been prevalent elsewhere. And, you know, learning how you actually put it into practice. So, you know, I think there is some experience there 
And one of the things we are recommending is that really is shared more widely, that the learnings that those who use the flexible furlough, um, the things they learnt about managing part-time workers is shared more generally with other employers. Yeah. And uh, what are your thoughts on this? Do you, have you seen any good practice in this area as well? Absolutely. A couple of thoughts. One you mentioned earlier, Steph. So use reverse mentoring. It's very powerful. And reverse mentoring is when you get a young person, maybe Gen Z, um, you match them with an older person that's maybe returning into the workplace. And it's a very symbiotic relationship because the young person can help that older person, for example, brush up on their digital skills. And the older person can help the younger person with a lifetime of experience and the wisdom of how to cope with office politics and the other things that young people might not be as as skilled at dealing with. So we are strong advocates of that. The other thing is there are some companies that have deliberately targeted older workers quite successfully. So using campaigns to attract workers that, for example, feature older workers. <laughs> and, and, you know, we've seen a number of companies, including uh, uh, McDonald's. I know that Bank of America has done this. And I would encourage companies to target these people and use the tools to attract them, including accepting they might need some retraining, whether it's on digital skills or whether it's on management and leadership skills. There's an awful lot that employers can and should do. The thing I often see as well, because I do a lot of work with schools and young people who um, often in deprived areas and things. And one of the things that does my head in, I guess, is that we're often not showing young people about how their skills are transferable. You know, we can be quite siloed and think, right, I am good at this job in this industry and not really appreciate or have ever been told that actually that would be useful in probably every industry, to be honest. I mean, Emma, do you see that in your sector and in your work in HR? Absolutely. And I think this comes back to thinking about some of these small businesses in terms of, you know, how they could utilise this. We approach recruitment sometimes thinking the applicant needs to tick every single line on the job description. But if you think about it more from the point of view of what is transferable in that skill set, what can be taught and actually recruit to attitude and potential, you can get much more success from that. And also somebody stepping into a role where they, they have a bit of growth, they need to learn more. That's going to retain them in that role as well, because it gives them that greater job satisfaction for a longer period of time. So again, this comes back to kind of, I guess, educating that hiring manager to just think a bit more openly about who would do well in that type of role. Yeah, and I guess as well, it's, um, you know, things like apprenticeships, it's kind of making sure they're offered across the board. And I can see you nodding along there. Again, they often people think they're for young people and they can be for anyone. It's one where actually government policy needs to be consistent because too often we hear people in government saying, oh, well, apprenticeships should be for young people. Well, that's absolutely not true. Apprenticeships are open to all people. At CMI, we deliver or we have delivered over 30,000 endpoint assessments for uh, management and leadership apprentices. Many of those are older people re-entering the workforce or upskilling. This is extremely valuable. We know they boost productivity and apprenticeships are for all ages. And that's an incredibly important point that we must bear in mind. And the government should message consistently that that is the case. And employers should embrace 
consistently that that is the case. The the other thing about all of this, Anne, I wanted to direct to you was can be quite intimidating for a business, can't it? It's particularly a small one thinking I've got to think about all these different types of people. I've got to think about how I'm going to attract them all and be in all these different spaces and cater for everyone, which could be quite hard for a particularly a small business. Yes, you're right, Jeff. But the good news is that many of these characteristics or programs that we've been talking about that employers can use to attract older workers work across the board for diverse workers. So what do disabled people want? What do old people want? What do women with caring responsibilities want? What do ethnic minorities want? They actually all want the same sorts of things which is not just money, of course that's important, but they want an inclusive environment, they want hybrid, flexible working, um, fit their work around their lives, they want you know, their employer to care about their health and well-being, they want a sense of purpose, they want a good culture. So my message to employers is if you give those things, you will attract a much more diverse talent pool and guess what? diversity yields better business results Mm. so you'll have a better more productive and growing business too yeah and probably less of a turnover of staff and can I just ask you about succession planning like when do you think a business needs to start thinking about that too businesses should always think about succession planning it's talent management isn't it and it isn't just who's going to be the next CEO it's Who is going to be promotable to the next level? How are you going to develop them? And if we talk about, for example, um, the advancement of women or minorities or disabled people and also some older people, it's really important that you incorporate those into your talent management strategy because the issues for many of these groups isn't that they can't get entry-level jobs, it's that they can't progress to the Mm -hmm. next level. And that's why organizations need to pay very close attention to not only who do they hire, but who do they promote and progress. And that's what succession planning does. So I want to ask you as well, and we've touched on it in what we've been saying, but in terms of how you retain staff in all of this. So if you've attracted them in and you're doing the flexible working and everything else, is there anything else you need to think about in terms of retaining your staff, Claire? One important aspect is the role of giving employees the opportunity to have their concerns, their ideas heard in the workplace and to know that something is done as a result of that. So if you like it, you know, removes the powerlessness of not being able to exercise any degree of employee voice. Yeah, the need to be heard, listened to. Emma, tell me a bit about what Alliance does in terms of keeping staff. It's a really good question. And and I guess there's so many different areas that you can look at. So Employee voices is really key, as was just mentioned. So we we have a number of ways of doing that in that we have an annual survey, which is sent to all employees, and then we'll have a series of sort of pulse touch points during the year. But I'd say it's just, it, it comes down actually a lot to your manager. And I think great leadership in terms of a leader who is constantly looking at that two-way dialogue, listening to what is is needed and acting on that is really, really key. Yeah. And can I ask you, Emma, from an insurance point of view, in terms of what brokers could be doing to help their clients in all of this? 
It's a good question. And I think when you're thinking about what you need in your organisation to ensure that you've got sustainability and the ability to growth, it's been really clear to identify what you require from a skill set point of view. And once you've done that, there's two ways that you can then build on that. You can either build it in-house in terms of that internal capability or you can buy it. And it's thinking about where are you going to invest in that internal talent or where would it be better to go to the external marketplace to bring in kind of fresh thinking, fresh ideas or a skill or capability that you don't currently have within your organisation. I think it's to be really clear about what is required to set you up for success for the future. And in conclusion, can you tell me what you want people to take away from this, Claire? The key thing for solving the skills shortage. I think it's not being afraid to experiment with different ways of working, offering different opportunities, which will allow them to both retain employees in the workforce, but also to attract new people into the workforce who aren't currently economically active. And Emma, your final word. What can you do to retain people? Because if you've got people who perform well in your organisation, who are loyal and who are talented, you need to be doing what you can to retain them. So everything that we've spoken about today in terms of well-being, benefits offering, that whole suite of different activities that you can leverage as an organisation, it's important to do that. And then I think with regard to bringing skills in, speed to recruit is so crucial at this moment in time. It's such a competitive marketplace. So if you identify someone who you're keen to bring into your business, I would say don't delay move at pace in terms of that recruitment process, do your due diligence, but absolutely make sure that you get that psychological contract in place quickly um, and get them in as soon as possible because I absolutely know that there'll be four or five other organisations talking to them at the same time. And what can they do to go away and actually make a difference or, you know, whether it's an employer or a broker talking to their clients? Well, I think first and foremost, as a business, you should think about diversity is a business building activity. The more diverse workforce you have, the better your results will be, the better your culture will be, the better your decisions and innovation will be. And actually, the things that attract diverse workers are often the same. And it's what we've been talking about throughout this podcast, you know, remote working, flexible working, inclusive cultures, retraining opportunities, well-being opportunities. This isn't rocket science and it can be done. There you go. Some great advice there. Thank you so much to Emma Saunders from Alliance and Franca from the Chartered Management Institute and Claire Kelleher from the Cranfield School of Management. Please do subscribe to the series through your podcast app and then you will never miss an episode. Also, we would love it if you left us a review as well. Thanks so much for listening. That's it from me, Steph McGovern and Alliance Insurance. Goodbye.